0: Just leave it with me until I cry out in a panic that I don't have it and then take it back. So there's a phone number up there 307 224 4404. 307 224 4404. 307 224 4404. I used to work for a radio station. <laughs> anyway, so um, so if you, if, you, if you don't want to do the welcome table, you, you do welcome and we'll get your information. We've we'll talked about that. But today I wanted to give you a new word. Instead of, you need to talk to somebody, like we get through this message. Maybe you have uh, some, God opens your eyes to some things, text the word more to that number and I'll get a hold of you, okay? And it'll put a layer so you won't be so worried about contacting me directly because that other number, three seven one four eight five three, you are totally free to text me, but uh, this, this is a layer so it's not as intimate and so it's less awkward, less awkward, <laughs> all right? Just know your ordinary faith, we make it awkward on purpose for you, all right? So we're in our series "Like a Son," and we are in our third message. We have one more next week. We're going to talk about what it means to actually live like a son. Today, though, we're going to talk about our Father and what our Father God is really like, and uh, try and scratch the surface of that. That's about all we're going to get to do is scratch the surface of what Father is like. And this is an important issue. You know, we've, ta- we've talked about the orphan, and we said, "Hey, man, the orphan is out there; is alone; has no identity; lost, and he needs to come home." Okay, and that makes sense. We think we've talked about the slave. The slave is in the household, but he looks at God like God is, like, you know, angry at him, or he's in trouble with God all the time, and or the slave just needs to come into the party. Well, we're inviting you to the Father throughout the whole series to come back to the Father. So, what is the Father really like? Because when I talk about God as Father, I get like reactions from people like if you had a good father and you have a good father relationship even now and I talk about God as father you're like yeah that's cool but if you didn't have that then all of a sudden that father relationship you think of God as father and that hurts that can be traumatic for you so I want to come at this today I want to tell you what your father is really like I want to address the 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 father wound as I get going though now, several years ago I read John Eldridge's book, Wild at Heart, and then his book Waking the Dead. Great books. Every man should read one of those. And, and, and any woman who has a man in her life that she cares to understand should also read those. And um, that was where I really began to start to wrap my head around uh <coughs> excuse me, to wrap my head around this father wound idea. And I think all of us have a father wound, and as a biblical basis for this. The father wound, but that, um, the reason, what I don't want you to do with it is I don't want you to take the father wound and use it as an excuse. Like, well, I'm this way, my life is at this point because I have a bad relationship with my father, and so that's just the way it is. It's not my fault. How you were raised, the wounds that you have may not be your fault, but the life you live now is your responsibility. Nobody else's, just yours. Okay? And so you can't use it as an excuse. But there is a theological basis for the father wound. And the sad thing is that it started with a guy you don't know who lived thousands of years ago who rejected God. And when Adam rejected God, that made man filled with sin. And God cannot tolerate the presence of sin. And so we had a separation between father and his creation, his children. And that's the beginning of the father wound. In fact, if you really want to get where the father wound came from and and the best way I would say to articulate it, I would say go to Jesus. Because Jesus said on the cross as He was dying, now His whole life, Jesus, when He talked about God, He called Him Father. Over and over again, He was Father. But there's this one moment that the Bible gives us a snapshot where he does not call God Father. And this moment captures the father wound that we all deal with on a theological, even though that may sound like a weird way to put it, level, on a deep heart level. We all deal with this. I'm just going to read the underlying part. Jesus cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now that is where most people's hearts are with God. We feel like God has abandoned us. We feel like God has forsaken us. We feel like God, so many people think God is up in heaven looking over some kind of banister going, boy, they are really messing it up now. I made it good and they make it bad. Oh my gosh. Um, And our idea of God is that He is somehow outside of anything that matters to us. And so we have to address that wound in us. Now here's the good news. Jesus Christ bore the father wound. He's on the cross for you and me and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is dying as an abandoned son in our place. So the very verse that captures the essence of the father wound is also the verse that frees you from it. Do you understand? This is very important. Because you have to know God as your father to get into heaven. Okay? I know that's a brutal line, but you know, this idea that, that I can just wander through life, make do something religious, and then wander into heaven. No. You, this, heaven is a relationship more than it's a place. Do you understand that? We're not going to a place where we're on vacation for eternity. We're going to a place where we have purpose and a place where we are in relationship with our Father. Jesus is the way to the Father, guys. This is really important. And so like, if you really struggle with wrapping your heart around God as the Father, you've got to deal with it. This is really important. Okay? You with me? Some of you are scared. Some of you are like, where's He going to go with this message? I never know, actually. So, I just have ideas. And No, I'm just kidding. So today, we're going to talk. I want you to meet Dad. I think of the orphan heart. It's all over this room. It feels alone. It feels like nobody cares. It feels like nobody is part of their deepest part. It feels like they have no identity and no place. I want that heart to come to a father and find out that they have a home. They have an identity. They have a father who cares. I want a slave heart that's out there that feels like God is harsh. That they have to do these religious things or they won't get any kind of reward or life will go bad. And their mind is working on this, I do this, God does that transactional religious basis with God. I want that slave heart to come home and find out that the father that they think is harsh, they just deeply, deeply misunderstand. And so I want you to come home, and I want you to go on the party. I'll never forget a season in my life. It was like a year-long journey because I'm a slow learner. I mean, God has to tell me stuff a lot for me to get it. Is anybody else like that? Like he has to say it over and over again. Like I have been through Patience 101. How old am I? A lot. (laughs) A lot. Like every year, twice, every year. Um, but one year, I was working on my relationship with my parents. We all have issues with our parents, right? Well, okay, maybe you don't, but you know I do. And um, I was struggling with some relationship tension with my mom. I was struggling with the way my dad was handling, you know, these kind of things. And through that year, God revealed something to me that just changed my relationship with my parents, and here's what it was. I realized that my mother gave birth to me when she was only 16. She was 16, my dad had just turned 20, and he was just out of Vietnam. He came out of Vietnam at the end of 68, married my mom in February of 69, and I arrived in December of 69. Please don't do the math, okay? Uh, so it's just, I, I can think about it. And, and back then, my dad just came out of Vietnam Even today, things come out of that story that I did not know that break my heart that my father went through. And back then, there was no... PTSD wasn't a discussion. People didn't talk about trauma. They talked about shell shock. But that was your problem, not anybody else's. And so, you know, I I wonder, actually, after I got through that year, I was like, I don't know how I survived childhood. I mean, it's a wonder they kept me alive. I'm not sure I would have, bearing the burden that they... But it is illegal. But that's another matter (laughs) that you don't... When you're a parent, you're kind of like, ah, is it really illegal? Anyway, so my point is we all need an epiphany of of what our father's like. I got an epiphany of what my parents were like, and it changed my relationship with them. If you can get an understanding of what your father's like, it will change your relationship with him today. So I want to look at six things. Normally I cover three to four, and that's like a 45-minute sermon, so I'm going to cover six today. This will be good, right? Okay. All right, so I'm going to read just snips out of Luke 15. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to focus on verses that the father is is doing something in. So I'm going to jump around. Luke 15, I'm going to start in verse 11. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them a story, this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Okay, we know that part. We know what happens to the son. He leaves, goes to the pig pen. Ta-da, comes back. Verse 20. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Father's reaction to that statement is, but his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house, put him on him, get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening, we must celebrate with a feast. So that's son one, he's home, back in place. Son two, verse 24, comes back from the fields. Oh, I'm sorry, I, I jumped ahead of a verse. This son of mine was dead, he's now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. Now the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, his father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed with me. Everything I have, it's yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he was found. So there's the story, Luke 15. We just hit the highlights of what the father, of each of the father's actions. And I want to cover six things that you see about the father. And the first thing I want you to see is the generosity of the father. Now, I realize at each of these points, I'm coming against a lie that's commonly held by people who don't follow Christ or commonly held in the world, and they may be beliefs that we hold on to long into our faith. Because most people don't think of God as generous. Most people think of God as stingy. And we do that because we think, well, I ask God for stuff and he doesn't give me stuff. Well, he probably doesn't think it's a good idea for you to win the lottery, but that's a different thing. So I want you to see this story. Now, as I read it, here's this this son, this insolent son comes before his father. Father, I want my part now before you die. Just a crazy, crazy request. And and so the father gives it to him. Now, you've got to understand in this parable, Jesus is is trying to show you a lot of things. He's teaching us about redemption, teaches us about jealousy, but the main the foundation of it all maybe not the main but the what lays under all of it and holds it all up is the character of the father and through the story jesus is revealing what god is really like now you look at this son this let's stand in the insolent son or let's look at him for a minute he's standing before his father demanding his inheritance he doesn't have a right to that inheritance it's not his money you understand that right He's demanding the Father give to Him what the Father earned, what the Father made. It's the Father's stuff that He's demanding. Okay, you with me? So let's translate this over to our Father God. Do you know that God created everything? Everything, okay? Now I I know there's there's theory out there, scientific theory that tries to dethrone God, say there isn't God, because they would prefer that everything be owned by nothing. But, God created everything, therefore God owns everything. Okay? You understand? You uh, you give your kids some crayons, some paper, they draw a picture. Whose picture is it? It's your child's. Why? They created a picture. In fact, they are reflecting the image of God. Because God is a creator, when your child creates, they are looking like their father. Does that make sense? All this stuff comes from the Father's hand. So when I look at the story and I see this son and I just want to choke him out, you know what I'm saying? It's just like, oh, you, you rotten kid. I realize I'm him. Oh, so annoying. I stand before God every day and ask for more of his stuff. Like, God, I need more money. It's his money. It's not my money. God, I, I need more friends. I need more, I don't know. I, I don't know what I need in life. I'll dream it. I'll think of it after church. I'll, I'll know a lot of stuff I need. Get on Amazon and surprise myself in a couple days. <laughs> Did anyone else do that? That's what I love about Amazon. It's like Christmas all the time. You order, oh, and then it comes in and you're like, I forgot what I ordered. It's like Christmas. Woo! <laughs> Sorry, that has nothing to do with the sermon. Anyway, so, all God's stuff is the point. Everything you possess, Everything came from the Father. You've got to understand that the air you're breathing right now, that's His air. The life you're living is the life that He gave to you. Everything in your life came from Him. He may have given you a talent that you worked at and improved, but even the effort and energy to improve and work at something came from Him. It all comes from Him. It starts with Him. It ends in Him. He may give it to you through the hands of your parents or through friends or through mentors, but in the end, it all comes from the Father. All of it. So every day, here's the Father generously giving to you air to breathe, food to eat, relationships to support you, income to to take care of your needs in life. All of these things. Sunshine to make you happy and wind to freeze your gizzards. I I don't know. (sighs) All this comes from the Father. Now, the problem with this When you give a gift, then the person you're giving the gift can do anything you want with it, right? Have you ever been hurt by giving someone a gift? Like you gave someone a gift and they didn't like it, they didn't know what it was, they didn't appreciate what had gone into it. I love that video I saw a couple years ago. A daughter, I think it was an iPad ad, or maybe it was a making fun of Apple ad. They're both good, but anyway. She bought her dad an iPad And so she comes over to his house, says, hey, how's the iPad working out? And as he's standing there cutting an onion on on a cutting board, and he goes, oh, it's great. And he picks it up. It's the iPad, $1,000 cutting board. (laughs) I mean, gifts, when you give a gift, the person can do anything they want to with it. And that has been so much of God's story. God gives the gifts, and the people he gives them to use the gifts against him. In Ezekiel, you have this, the prophet kind of telling this terrible, tragic love story. I mean, it makes Shakespeare look like cotton candy. In Ezekiel chapter 16, you hear this line where God is reaching out to His bride. Quote, unquote, out of Ezekiel. It says, You used the lovely things I gave you to make shrines for idols where you played the prostitute. Unbelievable. How could such thing ever happen? Here's the thing about God. He's given all these gifts, and time and time again they've been used against him. They've been used as attacks on him. And do you know what he does? Do you know what God does with this offense and this assault on his character and his person? He keeps giving. Every day He keeps giving. Jesus even appointed to it in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. He said, You've heard that the law says, Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say, Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Oh man, Jesus, that's deep. Why would you say that? In that way you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven, for He gives His sunlight both to the evil and the good. And He reigns, sends rain on the just and the unjust. So Jesus said, hey, I want you to be like your father because this is what your father like. It, it doesn't matter if people like him. It doesn't matter if they use his gifts properly. It doesn't matter how they treat him. It doesn't matter if they hate him. He keeps giving over and over again. Amen? Amen. He finishes that, caps it with Matthew 5.48. But you are to be perfect even as your heavenly father is perfect. So here's what I want you to get through your heart. God is generous. The next time you pray, I don't want you to pray to. I don't want you to feel like you were trying to wrestle something out of God's hands. Isn't that, isn't that kind of how we pray? Like we go to our, get on our knees and say, oh, "I need this answer to prayer," and I know you really don't want to give it to me, but I'm not leaving until you do. So I want you to stop praying like that, and I want you to get on your knees before God. Or the next time you pray, and I want you to pray like something like this. God, I know you want to bless me. That's where you start. I know you want to bless me. And then you be honest and you say, and I know that what I'm asking for might not actually be a blessing. But it's what I want right now. And you're a good father. And you want to give. So here's my wish, Let's Pop. You never know what he's going to do. He's such a good God, always exceeding your expectations. While never meeting them, or almost never meeting them, and so he's a good father. We see it there. Are, you should read the whole Bible. You know that, like the whole thing—Genesis to revelation is just keep reading it over and over again. Uh, I know you, I, I've heard people, "Yeah, I read it. I read it once." That's enough to get confused. That's all that is. Okay, <laughs> um, read it through. Every story will open doors for you and understandings for you on what God is like, what Christ is like what the church will be like, what the eternity is going to be like if you just keep just stay in there. one of my favorites is the story of Joseph. and again, they're all my favorites. so when I say favorites in the whole Bible uh, except for, except for Chronicles. I mentioned that last week, but that was that was a personal thing. And Joseph, Joseph was the firstborn son of his dad's high school sweetheart, although they didn't have a high school back then but he was, it was the girl he loved more than anything. Joseph was that first son. And, and Joseph had a favorite child and he wasn't sh- ashamed for everyone to know it. And the favorite child was also not ashamed for everyone to know it. Or any favorite children in the room. I, I see you sometimes on Facebook going, I'm the favorite. <laughs> All your siblings are like, yeah, yeah, they're the favorite. But anyway. So Joseph was the favorite and his father made him this, this beautiful coat. And, and what Joseph did with the coat, I mean, Joseph flaunted it. Joseph like he was really proud of being the favorite and it annoyed his brother so much they sold him into slavery. How much would you have to annoy your siblings for them to sell you into slavery? And some of you are going, well, they almost did anyway. And I was, you know, making them lunch. And so my point is this. In that story, you see this heart of the father for his son wanting to give and bless and give good things. That is the heart of your father God. Do you understand that that's the heart of your father God? You've got to wrap your heart around that. Because if you think you're living as a beggar in this world, you are not. You are the son and daughter of a king. And you've got to start thinking that way. A generous, kind, powerful king. Okay? Generosity of God. Second thing I want you to see in the story is the wisdom of the Father. So when I re- when I I for years, I would read Luke 15 and I would get to that scene where that insolent son is standing before his father going, I want what's mine. And, and I just like you
1: moron
0: you know i would just be mad and then what really blows my mind is the father because the text is jesus does not elaborate at all he doesn't say the father sat and thought about it called his legal advisors he just says the father says okay and i i would never do that okay i mean if one of my children came to me and said hey hey dad i want my inheritance now i would go like good luck How many ways can you split? Zero, brother. <laughs> go ahead. And I would, you know, I would be upset. I, I would never say if I had the resources, I would never say, OK, here you go. And so I read that. And I go, there's something wrong with this guy. You know, this father. That's that is not smart. That is not how you do things in this world. But we are not talking about how you do things in this world. This story isn't about that. This story is about actual what wisdom actually looks like and sometimes wisdom looks stupid in the natural. Sometimes wisdom does not make sense in the natural and this father has wisdom. God is wise. And so he gives the son his inheritance in the story and and, and I oh man, it makes me cringe. And I also see that wisdom is a powerful thing. And here's why it's powerful. This is why this is wisdom in the supernatural. And let me read this verse to you, and this might make it clear. Romans 2.4 says, Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see? This is the root of the verse. Get it. Can't you see that His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? The father knew that the only way to get his son back was through that pig pen. That's wisdom. You see? What we need to learn about the father's wisdom is that it is the goodness of God that brings people to repentance. We need to see this. This needs to be the heart of Christians and the church. It is not guilt and shame that produce lasting repentance. In fact, I would argue, and probably violently with some people, I would argue that the goodness of God brings real and lasting repentance and the guilt and shame of men and the enemy brings only a temporary, short-term repentance. I have seen a lot of guilt and shame used to get decisions that did not produce life change. And I am violently opposed to that. And so I want and I believe in the goodness of God. Here's why. The Old Testament. Have you read that thing? It is guilt and shame and repentance and falling back and guilt and shame and repentance and falling back over and over again. That was the Old Covenant. It was God continually going after His people. You had these these rough and tumble, gnarly prophets like Elijah, like John the Baptist even. He was the last of His kind. And Jesus said he's the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, the greatest under his covenant, but the, 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 the least in the kingdom was greater than him. Why? Because John was a guilt and shame prophet. And Jesus was a goodness of God leader. Jesus walked around and healed people. And we don't see acts of repentance in those healings, by the way. We don't see people coming and, and just surrendering their life to Christ for healing. We just see the goodness of God coming first. Why? Because God knows that the goodness of God is what transforms hearts. You start with the goodness and then true repentance begins to take place. That is what Jesus taught us in the New Covenant. It's profound. It's beautiful. So that is God's wisdom. That is not how, that's not my wisdom my wisdom is, you need to suffer a little bit. You need to, uh, you need to change. You need whatever. You, all the things I've heard throughout my younger life. But God's wisdom is, I'm going to be good. I'm going to give them goodness. I'm going to give gifts to them. And it will awaken their hearts. And they will be my children. Does that make sense? God's wisdom doesn't make sense to us. Isaiah 55 just as the heavens are higher than the earth. So my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand His decisions and His ways. God is wise. Your Father is generous. He's not holding out on you. Your Father is wise. He knows what's best for you. Okay? And your Father is filled with compassion. Oh my goodness. Who doesn't love that scene? That son coming home. The father waiting. Eyes apparently scanning that horizon day after day. Waiting for a lost son to find his way back home. And then when he sees him. That homeless disaster of a man. Top of a hill. Covered in filth and dirt and the grime of a pig pen. The father sees none of that. The father sees none of that. Of where he had been. He only sees one thing. My son. That's my son. He didn't care about anything else. Where he'd been. The path he'd been down. The harm he'd done to himself and to others. The the shame he'd endured. The guilt he'd gone through. All of that stuff was back in the pig pen for the father. All the father saw was, that's my son. And he ran and embraced the son. It's such a beautiful picture of God's compassion on for his son. There's a story in the Old Testament where about King David. He had a son named Absalom. And um, there was an incident. Absalom was like really good looking. He would have been on front of GQ, had great hair. I mean, not like mine, like good hair. And and Absalom had a sister who was beautiful as well, Tamar, certainly. And then what happened was is that Tamar, the beautiful sister, was attacked and raped by her half brother. And King David didn't handle it well. And that began the trouble between Absalom and his dad, David. It took years. But what it boiled down to was after years, Absalom managed to gather an army and he tried to take over Israel. David ran to try and save the city of Jerusalem, to hide, to try and resolve the issue. It came to a conflict between David's armies and Absalom. Absalom's trying to kill his father. With all that's in him, he wants to kill his father because his father failed his sister. And David did fail. At the end of the day, the battle is lost. Absalom loses the battle and he's dead. And David's alive. David has spent this period of time under assault by his son at risk of death at the hands of his own child. And now he wins. Now he's victorious. Now Absalom is dead. And David gets the news, and this is David's response. The king was overcome with emotion. He went up to the room over the gateway and burst into tears, and as he went, he cried out, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son. My son, that is the heart of a father for his child, no matter what the child is like. No matter what the child has done. And it is a metaphor that God gives us in this story of what the father's heart is for you. It does not matter what you've done it does not matter where you have been it doesn't matter the pig pen you live in now or the ones you have wandered through it only matters that you come home and then the father sees you and declares my child my son do you see the compassion of the father in this that's what these pictures this is why you should read the whole bible so many amazing pictures you don't know how much god loves you You don't know and you're not going to know in this life. And when you do get to heaven, by the way, you get there and you get in that eternal relationship, I don't know how long it's going to take for you just to deal with how much God loves you. Just to absorb the love of the Father for you. You should start practicing now. You should just like get in prayer and say, God, I just want to feel your love and let Him do His thing. You're like, I don't think it'll work for me. Try it. You never know. Ephesians 3.18 says, and this is Paul's prayer for us, he says, and may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is, God's love is for you. Your Father is generous, He's wise, He's compassionate, and He's forgiving. Oh man, so forgiving. This is my favorite part of the story. My favorite part of the story is the son and I see it and I know I've already said this but I have to relive this every chance I get and this is a chance so just deal okay I can just see this filthy man standing there and this father just holding him the father doesn't care how he smells the father doesn't care about the dirt that's on him the father doesn't care about the father's just crying and holding the father's wrecked and the son's wrecked and they're hugging each other and the tears are flowing. And and, and it's it, the son is like, he's got to stop and push dad back. That's how I see it in my heart. I just see the son saying, oh, this is good. But hang on, hang on, I got a speech I rehearsed. And I can just see him pushing the father back. And it's like, God, I've, the father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. And I'm not worthy to be called your son. And, and what I love about this is the father's reaction. This is my favorite part of it. The father's reaction is to not even respond to the son. The father's reaction is, ah. The father's reaction is, servants, go get the stuff. Make this look like my son again. Make his outside identify with who he is on the inside. He's my son. Do it now. We're going to party. That's what the father does. That's awesome. That is the heart of the father. That to me is what forgiveness is. You see, forgiveness, yes, it's theology. You know, if you like to use those Bible terms. It is theological. But real theology has practical ramifications. Real theology does something. And in this case, real forgiveness changes the son's clothes, bathes him, and sends him into the party. That's what real forgiveness does. You see, our God, He gets straight to the chase. He doesn't do long speeches. He just loves you like crazy. And He hops in the middle of your life and forgives you. This is how God works. He is a forgiving Father. This is the new covenant that you're under. Jesus Christ died on a cross, replaced the covenant of the law with the covenant of grace. And in that covenant, things have changed. Hebrews writes it this way. It says, you have come to Jesus. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. It's the difference in the covenant. Forgiveness versus vengeance. Your Father is a forgiving Father. The Bible says in Romans 4, 5, but people are counted as righteous not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. People are counted right not because of their work. It's not about feeling bad. You understand that? It's not about doing some kind of penance. It's not about making it all right. All those things may have a place in some area, but when it comes to the forgiveness of your Father, it's not about that at all. Your Father forgives you because you place your faith in your Father to give, forgive. He is a Father who forgives sinners. You hear me? He's a Father who forgives sinners. So why, my friend, are some of you sitting there thinking that God can't forgive you? Seriously, let's go after this lie. Let's shut down this stronghold. And I'm not just talking to, if, if you haven't committed your life to Christ yet, I'm talking to believers as well. We, we are the worst. We're the, we, we, we have this crazy idea in our heads that we, we come to Jesus Christ, we place our faith in Him, we turn from that life we had before, everything's clean, the slate is clear, and then you begin to live life, and you make mistakes, and somehow you have, now you're in trouble again. Like, well, yeah, but that all happened after I was saved. So all your sins, just in case you don't know, all of your sins in your lifetime were actually future when Christ died for them. You know this, right? So that's right. What you do tomorrow, Christ, He's already died for that. That is covered, okay? And, he's, and God stands ready to forgive. All you have to do is come home. It does you no good to punish yourself for a day, an hour, a week or two. It does you know, There's no value in that. When you find yourself in a broken place in life, in a bad pathway, in a rut that you're used to being in, rather than sitting there feeling guilty about being in the rut, confess it to God. God, I'm in the rut again. And then start praising God for His forgiveness. That's how you'll turn this thing around. Instead of sitting there suffering, like, like you can add something to what Jesus did. Like somehow your sins are a little too hard for Christ to die for. Really? Like, I know you forgive everybody, God, but my sins, they're a little tougher than that. What is wrong with you? Come on. You hear what I'm saying? I'm trying to get at your heart. Trying to get that slave and that orphan inside and set them free. Trying to set my brothers and sisters of Christ free. You don't have to spend another minute in regret and, and guilt and shame, because it's all been paid for on the cross. You don't have to do it again. And so when you when you when a saint sins, all he has to do, confess it, God's gonna cleanse it, and start praising God for what he's done rather than thinking in your mind, well, I need to feel bad all day or I'm not a good Christian. That is stupid. Just dumb. And I know you probably heard somebody like me say that you should do it that way in some fashion. They were wrong, okay? I only question Why, if God is this forgiving, God is this compassionate, why are we not just running home? Why why would anyone wait another day? And if you're sitting there right now and you're still waffling on Christ or you are stuck in a bad path in your life, come home. Just pray right now in your heart, God, I've messed up. I'm in this place of sin or I'm in this bad pattern. Whatever it is, you tell him what it is. You confess it and you just, why don't you just do this? Just ask him, God, do you forgive me? And then shut up until he speaks. And here's what he'll say. Yeah, yes, you're forgiven. Jesus covered that. We're good. That makes sense? Is that good? I, I'm pretty excited about it. Okay, but here's the thing about good with God. It always gets better. So, we walk through the story. The son's run over. At demand of the money, the father was generous. Son, God gives him the money. The father's being wise. And the son leaves. The compassion. and how the son's forgiven. And then the older brother shows up. The older brother is not happy. And we have this, I think this is a really disturbing picture in the story. To me, it bugs me. I mean, it's the father of the house. And I've come to know the father, and I really like the father. And then the older brother comes back, and he's mad. Now, okay, i got to be honest. There's a part of me that gets why he's mad. And I had some conversations with some people this week that kind of resonated with me. I get it. Like, it's not fair, you know? He ran away. He was a total jerk. And he comes back, and the father just... Embracing the family and the brother says, it's just not fair. And of course, I said last week, fairness is not something we actually want from God. It's just something we use when we're mad at someone else. It's not something we actually desire, okay? So I see this angry, this angry slave heart outside the room refusing to go in the party. This, this young man having a temper tantrum doesn't understand the celebration point at all. And then I see the father come out. And I see the father... Beg the old brother. I mean, if the father was anything like the older brother thought the father was, the father would just come out, slapped him on the head and kicked him into the party. Right? That's what would have happened. But that's not who the father is. And the father pleads with the son in the party. We see God praying, interceding. With a brother. With his brother. So many people think God is a God of judgment. And He is to the exclusion of the fact that He's a God of mercy. Here's this father pleading with this young man who does not does not understand this father trying to restore a relationship with two sons and a father. The father has nothing; has done nothing wrong in the situation. He's done, no, in no way has he intentionally offended anyone. Yet everybody's offended, and that really matches the story of God. Everybody tends up offended at him, and he had nothing to do with the things they're offended about. And so. This father stands and he pleads with this son. And I see this incredible picture of God's mercy. And, I, and the question it lays on me is, I, I live, have you guys noticed how angry the world is right now? It's like everyone's ticked off. I am so excited for 2020. I cannot wait for this election. I figure it's just going to be pure positivity all next year. It's just all daffodils and honeybees. I don't know, something. <clears throat> I just can't wait for no election. Mm. It's just it's an angry world. And, and my brothers and sisters in Christ, I get the frustration. I get it, man. I know that there are bad things happening in the world. I know that the innocent are being mistreated. I know all those things. I get it. I'm with you. I'm, I'm just as heartbroken about it as you are. But I'm going to tell you what, calling down God's judgment on sinners is not how we do things in the kingdom. It's not how this works. And I've got some friends and Some folks out there who identify in that prophetic and that very strong prophet side and they're all about the judgment and they're having visions like calling, man, God's just going to, the New Madrid fault's going, tsunamis. I mean, the whole country's going to be destroyed in five years if all these things come man. It's all over. And I'm like, you don't get it. You don't get the goodness of God. You don't get the mercy of God. And why are we praying for God's judgment when we need to be praying for God's mercy? We need to be pleading with God to have mercy on these lost, fatherless, hurting, broken people. I mean, Jesus in Matthew 9 is standing over the nation of Jerusalem. He knows they're going to nail him to a cross and not too far in the future. He's looking at them and his heart breaks and tears stream down his cheeks. And he says, oh, would to God that you would return to your father. And he cries for them. He says they're like sheep without a shepherd. That's the world you live in, man. It's a broken place and God loves them just as much as he loves you. So we should pray for that mercy. This father is interceding and it's funny because he's interceding with a brother for a brother. He's interceding with a brother for a brother. So hear this, church. We should get along. How's that? <laughs> That's pretty much all i got to say. know oh, I'm just kidding. James 5.19 says, My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. Man, that's what we're here to do. The intercession of the Father, pleading with the brother for a brother. We, we, we got the Father all wrong. We just don't know what we're dealing with when we start talking today. He was interceding, Father. And then I want to jump, I'm going to fast forward to the last scene. I got like hours more message, but I gotta jump around. I did not manage my time well today. I wanna tell you something about God that you're gonna struggle believing. Are you ready? God is happy. He's happy. I know. I know. Some of you are sitting there going, I don't think so. (laughs) Nah. Pretty sure he's mad. Yeah. At me. I'm pretty sure he's mad at me. Yeah. yeah. That's a lie from God's enemy. I mean, yeah, judgment, there will be judgment on the world. Things are going to be made right. Justice has to happen. God is holy, and I get that. And I'm not denying that. I'm just saying, hey, it's true. Tell people about it, but don't forget to tell them he's also merciful. He's also that Jesus is like at the right hand of the throne, praying for them constantly. You know, don't forget the mercy part, man. And, and, and so let's not forget the joy part either. So here's the father. And he just, it's like all the, it's like the father says, oh, come on, let's party. <laughs> it's like, hey, you're home. Hallelujah. Man, my son's back. He was lost. Now he's found. Let's party. Older brother comes back. Man, we're having a party. Let's all go to the party. Why don't you come into the party? This is the father. This is the Father's heart, and you're just like going. I don't think God likes the party. You don't know God. <laughs> I don't mean to insult you, but you don't know who your Father is. I know he's, you're like stodgy. He's very serious. If you want to look at Jesus, Jesus said, "If you want to see the Father, look at me." Jesus was messing with people all the time. I'm telling you what, disciples. Hey, there's five thousand people. Uh, how how would you feed them? Well, we don't have enough money to go feed them. Well, you feed them. <laughs> Here's a lunch. <laughs> Got this. Let me show you how it's done, boys. Boom. Always messing with people. My favorite's the guy that was blind, and Jesus uh, makes him halfway healed first. <laughs> I'm like, what's that about? <laughs> I see, men like trees walking. Doesn't make a good song. I don't know. what, what's, what is that? Your father likes to have fun. How do I know? A couple ways I know. One, there's so much happiness in life. If there were no happiness in life, that would say yeah, God's God's not happy. But when the happy, the very happiness we experience in life, just is an extension of the image of God that's within us. Another argument I would have: God built so many celebrations right into life. Birth, going to be a big celebration, right, Michelle? And that baby gets. It. Coming soon, all right. She's about to pop up here. That is a terrible thing to say about a new mother. She's about to pop. But I'm from Tennessee, and that's how we do it, boys. Birth, celebration, coming of age. Some 12, 13, some, some cultures do 16. We celebrate a coming of age in a young person's life. Their marriage, it's a big celebration. Sometimes we celebrate career changes. Sometimes we we all celebrate birthdays every year. We celebrate retirements. We celebrate successes. In fact, if a life is lived well, even funerals are celebrations. This is, God built it in everywhere. Do you understand now? God likes funerals. To celebrate. He likes it when we celebrate Him. He loves it when we celebrate Him. we celebrate Him, He shares His glory with us. Learn to celebrate God. That's part of what worship is. It's not all that worship is, but it's part of what worship is. You're celebrating the goodness of your Father and He shares His glory with you. It can be somewhat euphoric. It certainly uh, feels great and exciting to experience that. And so, God is a celebrating God. He also loves it when we celebrate each other. Did you know that? He says in Romans chapter. 12 verse uh, 10 he says love each other for real that's how i'm going to translate genuine affection love each, like actually love each other don't fake it till you make it just generally love each other and take delight in honoring each other i love that verse what if that was the culture that you lived in what if that's the culture you worked in the culture you churched in i know that's not really a verb but maybe it is i don't know what if that was that culture instead of like look at me look at me it could be look at you and we begin to honor each other. Wouldn't that be amazing? That would be wonderful. I wonder if that, I wonder if that book would sell, how to, how to get ahead of life by honoring someone who ain't you. <clears throat> I don't think it would sell. Anyway, so uh, he loves that. loves it when we honor each other. love it, because when we honor our father and we honor each other, we look, we start to look like our dad. When I was a kid, I looked more like my mother than my dad. And uh, for a boy, that's a little hard on the ego at a young age. You look just like your mother. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's rough on a 16-year-old boy. I ain't kidding. But every now and then, somebody who couldn't see well would say, well, you, you look like your dad. I'm like, yeah. I want you to look like your dad. And you don't look like your dad by doing good deeds, or going to church, or sitting and listening. You look like your dad when you spend so much time with your dad that you start to express your dad. You know those fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what your dad looks like. When there's love, patience, and peace around, The Father's around. And and I want to tell you something about the fruits of the Spirit. If you read this like a to-do list, it will eat your lunch. This is not a to-do list. This is a fruit list. And there's a big difference between fruit and to-do. This fruit comes out of being with your dad. The more time in his presence, the more love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faith is coming out of your life. And the less, the less. And so I want to encourage you to look like your dad and spend time with your dad. And I want to remind you he's generous. He wants to bless you. He's wise. He knows what you need way better than you're ever going to know what you need. He's compassionate. He cares about you more than you could ever dream. He, he, he's forgiving. Oh, There is no line with him. He's not the God of a second chance. He's the God of another chance. And he's happy. He is filled with joy. So many people struggle with happiness in life. I've been one of those. I'm getting over it because I've learned that the more time you spend with happy people, the happier you get. And my father is happy. So I spend time with him. And then hopefully I'm so happy that my wife can spend time with me and it won't ruin her day. All right. Guys, I've tried to teach you a little bit about what Father's like. What do you need to do with this? You need revelation. I need revelation. We We need God to show us his goodness. I can tell you about it. I can make you laugh at funny little things that I see in it. But until you realize God is really good, He is a lot better than I think. Until you begin to get that, you're going to be stuck. You serve a God who's in your mind, angry, out to get you, stingy. That's the God you serve. I would walk away from that faith too. I don't want anything to do with that. Do you think Jesus died for, his, for the children of God to live in misery? Apparently some preachers think so. I don't. I think Jesus Christ died to buy for us crazy, ridiculous, awesome life. And I think the key to that is to get to know the Father. How good He is. How much He cares. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for the goodness of Your goodness. I thank You that You do care about us. I thank You, Lord, that You forgive us. I thank You, Lord, that there are so many times in my life that I certainly could not claim to deserve being forgiven. How could anyone make a claim like that? And yet there You were, ready to embrace me in all of my misery, all of my sin, and bring me home and restore what the enemy took from me. You're a good Father. And in this room right now, I don't know what kind of lies I'm coming against in mine's. I don't know how the enemy has been able to reinforce strongholds of these untruths. But I do know that You're good. And I know that Your angels are in this room to fight valiantly on our behalf and to serve Your children. And so I ask that You set the slave free. I ask that You bring the orphan home. I ask that every man, woman, and child in this room comes to know God as the awesome, incredible, amazing Father that He is. I pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ who died on a cross to accomplish all of this. We could not do this in ourselves. We could never deserve it. Never earn it. And yet here it is. A beautiful gift. I pray every man, woman, and child takes it today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.